join me in the litany of invitation and confession. We come to worship, desiring to encounter the living God. All of who we are, heart, mind, soul, and strength to this experience of worship. Reverence and wonder find many expressions. Silence and song, dance and art, litanies and laughter. Our reverence attends to sacred friendships as well as sacred spaces. Let us ponder the meaning of Christ's leadership in our lives and in our church. We confess that we do not always follow Christ as his us. We have not loved our enemies or our neighbors as Christ man. We ask for God's forgiveness. We pause for a moment in silent confession. Sisters and brothers, God has forgiven us. God is generous in love and full of grace. In gratitude, let us lift our voices in praise to God. But you've been found here among the wonder and praise and grace of God. So welcome. Uh, as we come to worship today, we had to come through a cloudy day to get here. And yesterday was a long, rainy day, wasn't it? The kind of rain we needed, wasn't it? And we sat between a fireside on one side and a bay window on the other with a good book and a blanket in between. And some of our members are doing that right now. <laughs> but we are here right now, so welcome to worship, especially those of you who may be a guest today. On the edge of the order of service, there's a, a welcome card. You'll complete that and drop it in the offering plate. And then for any who would like to be prayed for, it is an honor for our staff to pray for you by name and by need every week, the staff and the deacons. And so place that on the card as well and drop it in uh, the offering. As we move through worship today, we'll be hearing three scriptures, as we always do. The first one you'll hear from Jeremiah about how God writes God's words on, on our hearts. And then from one of Paul's letters about the scriptures, especially uh, not only the scriptures that were given, but how God continues to write our lives, make scripts and scriptures of our lives. And then the gospel lesson is another one of those strange par parables of Jesus. It's about a public official, a judge, 
who doesn't fear God and doesn't like anybody. That's what it's about. But what the writer, the narrator says, now it's really about pray always and don't lose heart. It's almost like the narrator needed to explain the parable lest we miss it. So we open our hearts and our ears as we listen from the book. Welcome. God promises a new covenant, one that is written upon the heart, a reading from the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days, they shall no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant which they broke though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Here ends the first lesson. Let's say our prayers together. Good morning, God. Good morning. Hello. Hello. We are grateful to gather to name and worship you as our first response to your abiding love and faithfulness with us and all around us. God, we know that you long to keep creating and renewing your image in the world. But we confess that as often as not, we get in the way more than we participate as co-creators with you. At least it seems so this week as we are inundated by world events and our own lives mirror the anxiety and chaos we see. Lord, have mercy. God, it is hard to hold our gaze on you 
more than a few seconds or minutes at best because our teeth are set on edge by seeing Kurdish families fleeing and afraid yet again a people without a place. Forgive us individually and nationally for making rushed decisions and taking actions that have not been steeped in prayer, collaboration, and enough Sabbath keeping in order to know the difference between a really fine wine and a bunch of sour grapes. Lord have mercy. God, we pause to remember and pray for this beloved community. With gratitude for our families and children who gathered Friday night for the work of shaping faith and for creating s'mores around the fire pit. With gratitude and support as Will and Allison and Missy and Christopher are headed down the home stretch to their wedding day. With care for Muriel Hardy and others that are in the space of aging, not just with chronic illnesses, but indeed life-limiting illnesses and closure work. We pray for them and their caregivers. And with the prayer for the work of the people here at Northside Drive Baptist Church, as we will meet in conference to consider our stewardship together. Help us to know and name what honors you and the vision of this faith community. Help us to know that so as we budget and pledge out of both our abundant and limited resources. Help us, Lord. Help us. And God, when we don't know how else or what else to pray, we join our voices with Christians around the world to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. important to be grounded in faith, but it also is important to be diligent in living that faith. A reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message, be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. Here ends the second lesson. I'd like to invite all the children to come forward at this time. We'll meet up here. Come. If you brought your offering, Pastor Daniel has the plate. You can put it in. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you today. Hi. Good morning. Come join us. We have lots of room for you. Hi. I love your stickers. I like your stickers. Okay, you guys. So on Friday, we came, <clears throat> we were up here on Friday night, and we made some s'mores, and we were talking about something that we, that's okay, we missed you, and that's okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about what we talked about on Friday, so it's okay if you couldn't come, so we can talk a little bit about now. <clears throat> we talk about this thing called prayer, and we pray, and we're praying a lot when we're at church, right? We we talked about prayer and a bicycle on Friday night. We talked about all sorts of things on Friday night. And you know, that got me thinking that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a prayer that we always say on Sunday mornings. That's called the Lord's Prayer. And we say that every morning. Miss um, uh, Liz just read that for us, and she just did our morning prayer for us, and then we all said it together. Did you guys hear that? Don't sit on her right now. You guys heard that? Well, right now, I brought a book because this is a really pretty book. It's got very nice pictures that go with the words of our Lord's Prayer. Because I think when we pray, the words that we pray from our hearts, they become more than just words. I think when God hears our prayers, sometimes those prayers can come to be. They can come to be in our hearts. They can come to be among us, with each other, and they can come to be in our world. If only we keep our hearts open and we pray what's on them to God, and we keep them open for how God's Holy Spirit can move among us. So let's read this book. And if you know the words to the Lord's Prayer, you can help me read it. <coughs> our Father who art in heaven. Pay attention to these pictures. You'll see how these prayers come to be. Hallowed be your name.
you see our people in this book? Your kingdom come. Look at that right there. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Now look, there's that gate. There's that lady and there's these two people. Oh look. Look what's happening. They're helping. Oh, little girl found something on the ground by the fence. Mm -hmm. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This one says debts, but it means trespasses. It's the same thing. So look, she has the money in this hand. Oh no. See? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look, she's praying with her hands open. Maybe she's waiting for God's Holy Spirit. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then what do we say at the end? Amen. Amen. All right. So let's say a prayer together, just us right now. Okay? Everybody close your eyes. Dear God, thank you for your gift of prayer. Please help us to keep our hearts open to you and your Holy Spirit, however you may move, in us and with us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go. There's Miss Mary Lou. If you're Lou and you're going to choir, y'all can go with her. Thank you, Miss Andrea, and thank you, boys and girls. I want to tell you a story that Kathy Wooten told me about 20 years ago. It was when she lived in Germany, and this was the, uh, the uh, middle 70s, and she rented a place from a Jewish woman, uh, uh, no, a German woman, a German woman who had a house to rent. She rented that for the time that she was there. And uh, the woman spoke in broken English because she had spent some time in the States years before. And then uh, one day in Kathy's conversation with this German woman. The German woman says, I remember a song from when I lived in the States. Kathy said, well, what is it? Well, when Kathy was telling me, I was, in, I was thinking, well, it's got to be something from Elvis, you know. Well, how else would you remember something all those years later? And uh, she said, I, I remember it, and it, it goes like this. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. It's a gospel song. She remembered one song, and it was that song from the 19th century. And it sings of words of life and beauty that teach us faith and beauty. Wonderful words of life. In fact, that's the song that we're going to sing right now. Let's stand and sing it.
parable about the relationship between prayer and persistence and did I say persistence and the response of God. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Jesus said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, please grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming to me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the Gospel of the Lord. You ever expect the worship leader to go, this is the gospel of the Lord? And we go, thanks be to God, I guess. Today's gospel lesson is as annoying as it is enchanting. Uh, I love it, but it took a while for it to grow on me. I love it in that it teases us with this dark comedic, comedic tale of suspense, a parable, with a repugnant judge and a resilient woman. Oddly, it gives the conclusion first. It's part of the puzzler here, and there's no warning of a spoiler alert. It's like saying, I want to tell you a story about Harper's, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, uh, Atticus loses and Tom Robinson dies. But it's a good story, hang on to the suspense. Well, that's not how you do it. But this is what the writer does. He says, now, here's a parable about pray always and don't lose heart. Why, why tell the punchline so early? I suspect, my suspicion, I suspect that because it's what, when Jesus told it, nobody got it. My hunch is Jesus tells this parable and says, so what do you think it's about? And all Jesus hears is crickets. And so, if you don't know that it's gonna have a happy ending, then you listen and when you hear, it seems to dare to paint God in a very unflattering way. The further the tale goes, you begin to think that uh, God might be, well, God might be too distant 
from our long nights of pain. You might think that God is too uninvolved to bring relief to our exhaustion. You might think that it's speaking of a God that's too silent when it comes to our questions about evil and suffering, or that God is too tardy in giving justice to victims who are losing life right now. Of course, none of us have ever had those thoughts about God, right? Except maybe at 2 a.m. last night, or maybe the ICU waiting room last year, or just about any time you watch the news. I've had those thoughts. I had them this week. I was looking at a painting that I had not seen before. It's an impressionistic painting painted by a Syrian artist, Delawar Omar. It's a painting of a photo, and you can go on the web and find both the photograph and the painting, taken after the bombing of the city of Homs, Syria. It's the picture of a father bent over holding the dead body of his teenage son. The son's body is long, but it leans limp over both the father's arms. The child's hands are down at its side, his head droops to the left, and his legs dangle off the father's hand. And the father is bent over, crippled by grief. The victimized son's dead body is in the arms of his grieving parent. Does another image come to your mind of the Pieta of Mary holding the dead body of Jesus limp with arms, with legs and head and arms off to the side? The image always silently screams, why God and why so long, O Lord? In fact, this, this impressionistic painting has been called the photograph, uh, from the photograph, it's called the Pieta of Syria. In a similar way, this parable helps us admit thoughts we've had about God that we haven't had permission to say out loud. We feel it's tension and the truth. And maybe it is we just can't handle the truth. So the writer goes ahead and spills the beans. Maybe he can't hold the tension of the parable either. Let me just go ahead and tell you, it's gonna be about pray always and don't lose heart. heart. And then off he goes. When you hear this description that Liz read of the repugnant judge who does not respect or fear God, nor does he respect anybody, when you image that judge, what do you see? I mean, you, you got him in your head now? I can see him. He's bent over. Hands are behind his back. He's walking home quickly from work in the courtroom. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking Ebenezer Scrooge. But uh, there's this comedic thing. So it's like Dickens plus the Coen brothers. 
as in there's Ebenezer Scrooge, but a little bit of W.C. Fields in. Because I can see him fielding off people that come trying to be friendly. Get away, get away. On his face is a scowl that's been practiced. It's a calcified sneer started a lot long time ago. He never makes eye contact. His long-held cynicism has firewalled him from humanity's pain and his own humanity and even the holiness of God. Well, I imagine that the old judge stops at the market. Someone trying to sell him some food is friendly with him and says, fruit governor? And the old judge says, no, too sweet. And then he says, well, how about some, some spice to add a little seasoning to tonight's supper? And the old judge says, no, too expensive. Street or or orphans try to beg off money. He waves them away, get away, you bother me. Finally, he goes through the door and sits down for a cold soup and hard bread as hard as his heart. Now, in telling that, as you imagine this judge, this uh, who doesn't fear God or respect anybody, has any, have any of you been sympathetic toward him or empathetic toward him? It, it's hard to do, isn't it? But we, we don't become ourselves overnight. Could it have been that uh, it took a while to get that way? Maybe he's a jilted lover, kind of like a Mrs. Habersham, who life, for, her, for whom life stopped when the engagement was called off. Maybe he was abused as a child. Most adult abusers were themselves abused as children. Maybe he accumulated more and more and then his possessions possess him and he is obsessed with his possessions. Maybe he is a widower. Wouldn't that be an ironic twist to the parable? that he's a widower and this woman who keeps on relentlessly petitioning him, she is a widow. All of his hopes and prayers went into the grave long ago. Maybe he once had heart, but now he himself has lost heart. I think the early church struggled with that. By my counting, there are nine references to don't lose heart in the Bible. Seven of them are in the New Testament. Don't lose heart. I'll say this so that you will not lose heart over and over again because I guess we are all in danger of doing just that, right? Of losing heart. This coming Friday, Daniel will be going over to the temple on Peachtree and participate there with Rabbi Peter Berg, the rabbi for the temple, as they remember the Yom Kippur Tree of Life synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh. Remember what it was? It was only one year ago this week. Only one year, uh, year ago, 11 worshipers were killed on the way to Shabbat services. Six were injured, including the rabbi. And the massacre where it happened, it was revealed that the killer was motivated by an anti-Semitic white supremacist ideology. 
It's enough to make you lose heart. I mean, don't you feel that tug? Some psychologists call it compassion fatigue. Just about every congregational leader I know of is suffering from that. I'm surprised that's not in the DSM diagnostic manual. Compassion fatigue. Whether you are involved with moms against guns or whether you've been swinging hammers to pound down substandard housing in Fulton County for Habitat for Humanity, or that you show up every Sunday to teach your Sunday school class and sometimes you are the only one present. Yeah, compassion fatigue. It is easy to lose heart. And yes, it's a confession for those of us in the church business these days, maybe even in the seminary teaching business these days. It's tough doing church. Just on Friday, two days ago, the latest Pew Research came out that church attendance has changed more than the double digits in the past decade, in the past 10 years, uh, mainly around predominantly white Protestant churches. Now, we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt, so the numbers are a bit skewed there. But in most places, it has gone down 10 to 12 to 15 percent of attendance on uh, Sundays for the white American church. Well, we know about that as we look around every week, don't we? Yeah, it's not the 50s and 60s anymore, is it? It's not the 70s and 80s. When the waves of culture carried the church's surfboard, especially that of the white American church, we could proudly hang 10 anywhere. That'd be the Ten Commandments. We could hang them up wherever. Courtrooms, schoolrooms. Now that surfboard, because the wave has gone, has been changed to a paddleboard with a dead calm. Now there's a lot of delight in God's world when you get on a paddleboard in the bay and paddle around and watch the stars and watch the sunset and watch the birds enter and leave at dusk and dawn. But it's a different world now than it was then, and it's a challenge to not lose heart. The hero of this story is a woman who does not lose heart. Now, she probably loses the skin on her knuckles, beating against the judge's door day and night. I want to talk with you. I need justice. And she was persistent and her knuckles are bloody. It could have been that her voice was hoarse by the time she finished her pleading day after day after day. Oddly, we don't know her case. I mean, why is it that she's asking for justice? It never says. It could have been what? Uh, maybe her nephew has been wrongfully accused and is in prison and she's trying to get him out. Maybe she's living with her brother-in-law and his family since she is a widow, but the brother-in-law is being cheated out of his housing and if he gets thrown out, so does she. We, we don't know what the issue was, but we know that there was something that for which she needed justice. And she was persistent in asking about it. Eventually, says the text, the judgmental judge relents 
But why does he relent? It's beautiful that it actually says it's not because of his ethical values. It's not because of his moral concern. He says, I still uh, don't fear God and I don't like anybody. But to keep this woman from wearing me completely out, I'm going to go ahead and grant her justice. In other words, he finally gives in, not because he's tugged by love, because he gives in because he's afraid of her. In other words, he does the right thing for the wrong reason, but that works for her, and it works for him. He finds relief, and the woman finds justice. And then Jesus comes back with the punchline and says, the good news is all that stuff about that judge, God is not like that. God wants to, is eager to bring justice. So hang on, pray always, and don't lose heart. I can imagine his, the, lead, the readers or the listeners to Jesus who didn't know where in the world is he going with this parable? that by the time he got to the end of it, they felt wrung out. But I'm also pretty sure the early church must have been ready after you've wrung out the sponge, that it's ready to soak it up. Maybe they needed exactly that word, that God wants to, is eager to bring justice. As I was messing with this text this week, it occurred to me, uh, how did the Apostle Paul describe the church? Um, oh yeah, the body of Christ, that's one of those things, the different spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. But there was another metaphor he used. Oh yeah, it's the one that we say at nearly every Christian wedding, that Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Now, how about that? Maybe it, be, it is that the church felt widowed as well. Everything went well in that first generation when there were still those around who could see his footprints in the sand. But by the third generation, as they had packed suitcases thinking, Jesus is going to be back any minute, look busy. You've seen that bumper sticker that hangs on my door of my office. I won't tell you who gave it to me. Some of you might know Carolyn Mahaffey. <laughs> but they're waiting on Jesus living out of a suitcase, but by the third generation, he ain't coming soon. And this bride of Christ was beginning to feel widowed. And you know how exhausting hope can be. She's not just a woman in this story. She is a congregation of women and men who have learned to live with broken hearts, but also open hearts. And against all odds, she has not lost heart, nor did the church. They were about like us, no longer riding the big waves, no longer the beach boys singing our surfing safari right now, at least. But we are having a great time on our paddleboard. Just ask Andrea and Daniel and the mamas and the papas who are here on Friday night around a campfire out in front of the chapel talking about prayer and the hard but joyful work 
of doing spirituality as a family. It almost makes me want to go vote for a church budget that does its best to bend toward justice and hope. And as we do, we pray always, we don't lose heart. We don't do it. Amen. It's part of our tradition that whenever a word is spoken, an invitation to dedication and invitation is given. And as we sing this hymn today, it reminds me of our church's vision, that we are called to discern and act upon the ongoing revelation of God in our time and place. And as we do that, we listen to what God is inviting, and we respond. That's what the hymn is about. Let's stand together and sing. bring a few concerns and announcements to you this morning. Uh, first, we are having a called meeting in the church and conference uh, directly after the worship service today. All are invited. We'll have a lunch uh, provided for you uh, as well. We'll be voting on the budget during that time as well as hearing some ministry. 
Is my mic going in and out? Okay. All right, I'm getting word and breaking word that I should keep going. I'm going to keep going. Okay. Uh, another announcement. Uh, uh, this Sunday, uh, we'll have you know what? I'm going to go up to the lectern. Can you hear me now? A week from today, we'll have trunk or treat, uh, and that will be out in the parking lot, weather permitting, at, at 5 o'clock from 5 to 6.30. Bring your trunks decorated, bring your treats, and remember uh, your treats to be nut-free uh, for those who have allergies. And uh, I'm still deciding what I'm going to be. James, do you know what you're going to be this year? Okay, we have uh, seven days to figure that out. I want to give you a few prayer concerns. Uh, last week I updated you that, that Muriel Hardy, uh, Valerie Hardy's mother, was in the hospital. She's been released and James spoke to her on Friday and she was doing better uh, as of Friday. Um, you heard in Liz's prayer that uh, the concerns for the Kurds of northern Syria, I want to lift those up to you. Many have seen uh, the devastating images of children uh, injured uh, and dead this week in Syria. So um, that's been our prayer as I've uh, put the children to bed each night, that God would be with those making decisions and God would be with those impacted by what's happening in northern Syria. You have your own concerns and God is big enough to hear all of them, stated and unstated, bigger than this room and this church. And the choir will help lead us uh, in an offertory hymn that speaks of a God that's bigger than our concerns. A God of Lord, us of sea and sky, and of snow and of rain. Thank you, choir.
that speaks to our hearts even when it feels like stone. But we open our hearts by your spirit to God and grace alone. So bless us and hear our thanksgiving. Use these tithes and offerings in the ministry of the love of God all week long. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.